Proverbs 12.22, NLT. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Welcome back to this week's episode of Melanin Medley, where we are on part five of the Moving Forward series. Now, kings and queens, we've talked a lot about all these different components of moving forward, but what does it mean when you have to move forward and your past comes back to pay you a visit? Now, this could be friends, this could be a feeling, or in Joseph's case, it could be your very own family. Stay tuned. Let us pray. Dear Father God, thank you for blessing us with this opportunity of fellowship. Father God, we pray that as we go into this moment that there may be more of you and less of ourselves. Help your name to be glorified and help us to really get clarity on the tools that you've equipped us with when we're moving forward and we're faced with our past. Father God, you told us no weapon formed against us shall prosper and we now believe that now more than ever. So we just invite you into this space, make it a holy one and rebuke and bind any and all attacks of the enemy so that your word may be able to form a home in our hearts. And it's in all these things we ask, not by our will, but your will. And it's in Jesus name we pray and ask it all. Amen. Hello, kings and queens. Welcome back to Melanin Medley. I understand y'all's frustration. Y'all trying to figure out where I've been for the past two months. We'll get to that eventually. But first of all, how are y'all? How have you been? It's been a very, very long fall, but it seems like winter just came in and started doing its own thing. And I'm just trying to understand why it's so cold so early. Like, I like the cold, but it's when I'm trying to sleep. Not when I'm trying to like get through my day, maybe even grab a quick bite to eat, enjoy time with people that I love. I am not trying to be frozen to death. And for it to be this cold this early, I just got issues with it. But never mind that. Let's get started on this week's episode. So this one, y'all... I really, really, really hope it blesses y'all because just the revelation that I got, even as I was preparing and reviewing for it, is just beyond me. Like, I always act like I'm surprised if God's going to move in this podcast, but he still moves whether I move or not. And I learned that the easy and the hard way, but nine times out of 10, the hard way, because sometimes I don't be listening. So let's recap on how far we've come along. Like, can you believe we're on part five of this series? That's still bananas to me. So when we first started, we tried to form this foundation in part one, where we tried to understand who or what we needed to move forward from, whether that was a habit, a person, a place, just a thought process, whatever it may be, we tried to identify who or what we needed to move forward from, right? And then I brought my guest on, which was my sister, my best friend, and she came and broke it down a little bit further and even gave a little bit of a testimony on what her moving forward journey looked like. And then in part two, we talked about who and what you cannot control and who's in control here. And this is when we finally got the introduction to our main character, Joseph, who we found out in Genesis 37, who had all of these dreams, all of these things that God had placed in his heart, but he didn't really have that much control over what kind of family he was born into and if they would believe and support where God was calling him to in that season. And then to follow up that episode, I brought in another A1 since day one, Miss Faith, 
And she really helped open our eyes to say like, most of the time when we're trying to be in control, it doesn't work out. And nine times out of 10, we are the ones that are trying to be in control. And we like to point fingers and accuse other people as if they're the reason why our lives are going the way that it's going. But it's really a question of what or who did we put in control of our circumstances? Because there are some things we can't control, like our genetics and what kind of families we're born into. And even our circumstances up until a certain age. But there comes a point in our lives, especially in our moving forward journey, where we got to put God back in the driver's seat and allow him to be the rightful controller in our cars and in our lives. So then after that, we moved over to part three of the series where we talked about stewardship. And we even took a close look at Joseph's life and how he stewarded over Potiphar's house, despite Potiphar's wife not staying in her lane, so to speak. And within this, we learned that most of the time when we're stewarding over something, it usually has nothing to do with us, but everybody that is being blessed through us. Even more so, there are circumstances there that are trying to help us to learn how to take care of something before it is even ours to have. And of course, we went more in depth as with the other two parts of the series in that specific episode. And we also brought on a guest named Ralph, who's my boyfriend, who I absolutely love and adore. And he gave us a little bit more insight into what his moving forward season looked like, especially in terms of stewardship. So if you all haven't already, I strongly, strongly, strongly advocate you go back and listen to those three parts. Because the part we just did, and even the parts leading up to the end of the series are so, so foundational into testing how much we've learned in our moving forward series, that I don't want you to miss out on all of the other good nuggets that were brought about in even like the interviews, like some of those were so free scripted that we were just going with the flow. So I don't want you all to miss that part. So then after that, we moved into part four from the last episode where we talked about letting God define your why. Like we understand that we're moving forward. We understand that we're going towards something different, but we want to make sure that we're checking in with God, making sure that one, he hasn't changed the pace of where you're moving forward from. And then two, making sure that we're actually going and walking in purpose rather than trying to go about it in our own way, in our own timing to ensure that we get the blessings and promises that God already promised to us. So with that, that meant like in Joseph's case, encountering people that are in the same place that we are in our lives, but are there for different reasons. So after identifying all four parts of the series so far, It brings us to this week's episode where the question that we're thinking about right now is what happens when you are in your moving forward journey, even at the cusp of inheriting all that God has promised you? What happens when on this journey, people, emotions, habits, past thoughts, opportunities, or distractions from your past come to pay you a visit? You ever think like, Just when you were getting comfortable, just when you were getting in the groove, just when you were feeling okay to keep going with this whole journey where you're completely relying on God. And then this person, these people, these things, these old habits, these old thought processes come back and they're like, hey, what you got going on? So before we get too far into this week's episode, let's be reminded of our anchor scripture in Philippians 3 verses 13 through 16. 
where it reads, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Now, we've been reading this anchor scripture for what, like five parts now? But I think what's really standing out to me right now, just in the spirit, is that in verse 15 through 16 with Philippians 3, it says, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. Agree on the fact that in your moving forward season, you actually have to let go of all this stuff that's coming back to pay you a visit in this part, right? You have to let go of all of that and look forward to where God is trying to call us to, where he's moving us through, right? He also says like, in our humility, if you disagree with the fact that your past is paying you to a visit and it's calling you back to where you once were, or if your past is paying you a visit and it's getting you back caught up into this habit or whatever it may be, it reminds us that we have to allow God to make it plain to us that that is what's going on. And then even closer to home at verse 16, it says, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. And I feel like that is really important, especially in this episode, because something about when our past comes back, it just throws everything off. Now let's use Joseph's story, like we've been using this entire time to get a little bit more clarity. So thus far in Joseph's life, Joseph is thrown into slavery, a slave out of house, thrown into prison. The people he's imprisoned with get out before him. Granted, one got impaled, but they get out of prison before him and he's made his way all the way up to the governor, a top governor in Egypt at the right hand of Pharaoh. And after all of this, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to visit him. Granted, their father sends them to Egypt because they need food, but all except one brother goes. Today, we're going to read Genesis 42, verses 6 through 34. Picking up in verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. Verse 10, no, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, Joseph, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you. You are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place until your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. And if you're not, 
then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. Dang, he put his own brothers in jail. Verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now he must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. Verse 24, he turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Verse 25, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brother. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sunk and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who was Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more. And the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who was Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. Now, I know that was a lot, but I hope you all were listening along. So what basically happened here was that Jacob, Joseph's father, sent his other 12 brothers out to Egypt to get food because they were experiencing a famine at the time in Canaan. And when they got there, Joseph was in charge, as we've already seen in the previous chapters, of everything and all of the land in Egypt on the right hand of Pharaoh. But when his brothers got there, they didn't recognize him. So why even bring this part as a part of the Moving Forward series? Like, why is this important? What is the point of this? And I feel like for here, it gives us this question of what a return policy looks like. And there's a question between God's return policy and our return policy. So for me, I'm thinking in terms of what it was like to work in retail. I'm supposed to be familiar with this idea of returns and exchanges. So when I worked, we had this breakdown of a system of what we were supposed to use. So when a guest came up and they asked us, oh, um, what am I supposed to do with this item? I'm thinking of making a return or an exchange. So they bring the item to the store, right? Then the guest goes on to explain the circumstances of the return. Like, is it broken? Is it not the right size? Did it come damaged? Like all of this different stuff. 
And we basically talk them through what they can and what they cannot do. So if it's past a certain number of days, if it was stolen, if it reached a limit on the driver's license, shout out to those that are doing some holiday shopping. Make sure that you keep those receipts so that you're not maxed out on the amount of returns you can make on your driver's license because some companies don't play about that. And then we also have the option once the return is processed of giving them store credit, cash, or putting the money back on their card. Then ultimately, they exchange return or leave with the item that they purchased. So I go through this process simply because like, just like stores have a process for their return policy, we have a process with our return policy. We have a process of how we want to treat people, how we want to treat these things, how we want to go about dealing with the circumstance. And then God has his policy on how he deals with things that return. So there's our policy, which is kind of what Joseph's policy looks like. And then there's God's policy. So let's walk through this idea of what our return policy looks like, or more so what Joseph's return policy looked like, because we're not pointing fingers here. We never point fingers at Melanin Medley. So let's start with part one. Or let's call it Article 1 of the return policy. Treat them like they treated us. And here we're going to pick up on this idea that I want to call the prison paralysis. Now we see this after we've gotten a great debrief on what the brothers were there for and the interaction that Joseph is having with his brothers at the very beginning. So we're going to pick up in verse 8 where it says, Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then... He remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. So when he realizes that he recognizes his brothers, but the brothers don't recognize him, there's this infuriating emotion that comes over Joseph where he's immediately going to put them in this prison paralysis of where he was when they first threw him into slavery. So with this, Joseph is thinking, when I was thrown into prison, I was thrown into slavery. I was made and treated like I was nothing. And now here you come trying to spy on me. Like you're spying on all of the things that I've created, all of the different personality traits that I've developed, the Egypt that I've gotten out of me, even though he's kind of governing over Egypt. All these things that I've evolved from, now you're coming here to spy on me and all the progress that I've made. I've been fine. I've been doing great. But now here you come. One would even call Joseph's 12 brothers the spy kids because even though they were sent by Jacob, to Joseph it appeared they were trying to see what Joseph had going on. And Joseph didn't want to do or deal with any of that. So for him, the biggest solution to his issues was throwing them into this prison. This prison where he has put these identifiers of, you're not about to come in here and wreak havoc on all that I have going on, all the progress that I've made. And essentially what happens is in this prison paralysis, we're trapping the person, the thought, the people, or the old habit into this paralysis or this inability to move and we're trapping them in this jail of unforgiveness and the pain that we created to mirror the pain that they put us through. So it's almost like we're trying to paralyze them in strict fear and make them remember what they put you through, remember what you experienced, but we're creating this own prison 
in our minds for them to be put in. And it's almost like we were waiting on the opportunity to accuse them of stepping into our lives, accuse them of trying to wreak havoc and accuse them of spying on the land that is unprotected. So in Joseph's case, Joseph remembered them and he remembered the dream, but he acted out of this emotion, out of this place of you will never hurt me again. I have power now. I have enough power to throw you into prison. You remember when you enslaved me? Now I'm gonna throw you into prison and I am protected. So I'm gonna hurt you like you hurt me. For us, we're coming to see this insecurity that we've placed ourselves in where we think that these people, these thoughts, these habits are paying us a visit, reminding us of where we once were to identify where their land or where our land is unprotected. Where am I vulnerable? Where am I weak? Where is an area in which they can take advantage or it can take advantage of me again? And sometimes we're quick to accuse people of something they've already forgotten about. And for them, they don't even remember what hurt you, how they hurt you, but you do. So there's this question that we're dealing with in our return policy is how do you heal? How do you move past that? How do you move forward when these people, these temptations, these memories are coming back just when you feel like you made it? And I feel like in Joseph's case, there's no immunity to when, how, or if your past will pay you a visit during your moving forward season. But it's almost for us a justification when we put them in this prison paralysis They are checking this box of meeting our expectations in our return policy. So that's part one. Part two or article two of our return policy, we have to pretend like we don't know them. In verse seven, it reads, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. How many of us, myself included, have we seen someone from a past, whether it be like someone you met in the dining hall and then you kept moving throughout your week and then you saw them the following week, but you were like, do I act like I know them? Do I not? Do I, like, what do I do? And for us, it's a question of how many people have we seen after we've made it, moved forward, moved on with our lives, but then we treated them like a stranger, You know, like those moments where you make awkward eye contact with someone that you know, that you know, that you know, but neither one of y'all want to acknowledge the fact that you know, that you know, that you know, so you just keep ignoring each other. Or what about on the extreme end where you acted like you didn't know them, but then you tried to speak down on them or you tried to make them feel belittled. You, you try to make them feel like, oh, even though I'm going to act like you don't know me and you're going to act like you don't know me either, like we're going to play this game, then I'm just going to go ahead and ignore you. The justifications we make around this return policy is that if I pretend like I don't know them, I don't have to engage with this feeling that may be coming up for me. I don't have to engage with this insecurity of feeling inadequate. I don't have to engage with this idea that I've had to play this game with you for so long in my life that this is the end all be all of it. Like this is the full extent of what I'm gonna get out of this relationship, out of this feeling, out of this temptation. This is what I'm gonna deal with. So Rather than actually try to deal with it, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to act like it has nothing to do with me. I'm going to keep 
moving forward. But the biggest part of moving forward is acknowledging who and what you can't control. So if you can't control who you're moving forward from, you can control how you go about dealing with these people that we're choosing to ignore. So again, I'm like venturing a little bit into God's return policy, but that's article two of our return policy. I'm not gonna act like you know me and you're not gonna act like you know me and I'm not gonna play this game with you. So you don't know me, I don't know you, then we're cool. So then part three or article three of our return policy is protecting ourselves from the hurt. And we see this so clearly in verses 14 through 17, where it reads, Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. And if you're not, surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. So for us, like we're able to see this prison paralysis like we saw in article one of our return policy we're able to see it like he put them in an actual prison, but it's almost like he was trying to get them to hurt as much as he hurt. In addition to that, he tried to play God in the sense that he was protecting himself from the hurt and asking them to give him something that means something to them. Give me something you care about. Give me something you want. I want you to prove to me. Remember how you hurt me? Remember what you did to me? Prove to me that you aren't coming here on assignment to do something to cause all this ruckus. For Joseph, he's throwing them into this prison without a reason. But it's the same thing that they did to Joseph. They put him into slavery without a reason. So in an effort to try to play God and to protect ourselves from the hurt, He throws his siblings into prison while also asking for something that they want. And in addition to the same idea of playing God, he's trying to protect what we haven't moved forward from and what we haven't even touched yet. Instead of dealing with the issues, with the feelings, with the emotion that is causing them to feel this way, rather than giving it to God, he's telling God in a sense that I can handle this. God, if you want to move me forward so that I can use my dreams to help redefine what dreams are for people, to help people identify their spiritual gifts through dreams, Joseph's like, yeah, God, use me, but don't deal with this part that I have going on with my brothers. Like, I got it handled. I'm going to throw them in jail and make them feel how I feel, and then we're going to be Gucci. But God's like, do you ever question on whether or not I may have them have this encounter with you because I want you to heal from this specifically? Because it's clear you're open and available to heal from these things, but are you open to healing from what I want to heal you from? Which may be in those dark, twisted, and almost shame-filled areas that we don't want to talk about. But we're not talking about what God's trying to do. We're talking about our return policy. So let's continue to Article 4. And identify this last part that I want to talk about. We try to make it seem like God approved this behavior in our moving forward season. Yes, we encounter these people from our past, but God, I have 
been going to church. I've been in my word. I've been fasting. I'm in small groups. I'm doing all this stuff to ensure that the people who need food have food and they don't want for nothing. I'm doing all of this, Father God. So they check all these boxes of what it means to be a Christian and keeping it real, but God is nowhere in the midst of our unforgiveness. And when we try to make it seem like God co-signed our behavior, it's almost questionable. Now, before we get too carried away, like let's look at a very clear example of God saying nothing while Joseph is saying that God approved this. In verse 18, it says, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. So with this part, we see that Joseph's being a little petty as well by calling his own brothers and his own father's home starving households. But we're not going to pick and choose which parts of the Bible we're going to identify. We're going to stick to the facts here. Because even as we go on to read verses 21 through 24, it says, they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. And that's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now he must give an accounting for his blood. But they did not realize, they being Joseph's brothers, that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. So with this, we see that, especially in verse 18, Joseph's trying to be like, oh, I fear God. God has moved in my heart so that I am able to forgive you and be able to really identify with what you're doing. So what I need is for you to give me a $500 cash app deposit for my time and for how much of a distress that you put me under with all these years. Like God is nowhere in there. God is nowhere in this. He's not approving of what you're saying. He's not approving of what you're doing. And for Joseph, for him, he feels like he's justified it because he's done all these additional things in his moving forward season. But especially like we learned in Philippians 3 verse 16, it reminds us consistently, we must hold on to the progress we have already made. So backtracking to be petty, backtracking to do whatever we feel like doing, backtracking like we are in control and thwarting all that we've done thus far in the Moving Forward series just to get back at the very people of our past, we are not holding on to the progress we've made. We're operating out of a place of pettiness, and it does nothing to truly help us get out of this mentality of our return policy. So after reading through all these parts, let's recap on what we just learned. So in our return policy, We treat them like they treated us, pretend like we don't know them, play God in which we are protecting ourselves from the hurt and protecting what we haven't moved forward from. And then the fourth part being trying to make it seem like God approved this. Now, after applying all these terms and conditions to what we deem as our return policy, our version of justice, we don't really get anything out of it except pain anger, sadness, and resentment. In Joseph's case, in this long line of him being petty towards his brothers, 
He could hear them remembering the fact that, oh yeah, you know that brother that we threw in slavery? Man, we're getting in trouble just for that. And despite Joseph's petty antics, the brothers are just reacting to the fact that maybe they're trying to troubleshoot a rationale as to why this is all happening to them. But Joseph is reliving those moments in verse 24, where it says he turned away from them and began to weep because he is reminded for them is just a passing memory that they forgot about. But this is the reality in which Joseph is living his life. How many of us, when we are encountering our past, that it doesn't feel like it's just a moment or just a memory to be forgotten in the next second, but it's an actual reality we have to constantly keep reliving when we are tempted when we see people that remind us of our past, when we see things that remind us of a past, that reminds us of a memory we're trying so hard to forget. What happens when our return policy doesn't work the way we thought it would? Because then we start crying and we start second guessing, is this really what God has called me to do? And God, if you brought me this far, why would you bring them back into my life? And right now I'm thinking... God, you've brought me through all these components of moving forward, but why is it that you are causing me to face my past? There are moments where a lot of times we feel like our actions are justified. Like after everything they've put me through, after everything this school has put me through, after everything this job has put me through, after everything this family has put me through, I should implement my return policy. And I feel like a lot of us, we don't really see a problem with Joseph's policy. There's this eye for an eye. There's this idea that at least I'll be able to get the last laugh and the final say when after so long I've had to live with living in this daily reminder of I never want to be where I once was. And as soon as I get the opportunity, they will feel exactly how I felt in that moment. Felt humiliated. I felt less than. I doubted my gifts. I doubted what God had told me. I doubted who I've always been called to be. So now we wonder, okay, God, what could you possibly tell me to help me clearly see how your policy is any better than mine? And for a lot of us, thanks be to God, that he has a return policy too. We're able to see God's return policy even come into full play with Joseph's life. So in part one, or I'll call them a kingdom key one, kingdom key one of God's return policy, learn to communicate and not control. So for me personally, I got this mantra maybe like two weeks ago, And it was in a time where I was trying to figure out a lot of change that was happening in my life all at the same time. And you know how people say you want to be blessed to be a blessing, but with each blessing I learn, there comes an additional responsibility. When I look at this kingdom key one of God's return policy, learning to communicate and not control, it had some fine print in there. One of the fine print being... Revenge isn't yours. 
So in Joseph's case, like Joseph tries to get revenge on them. He throws them into prison. He calls them spies. He does all this stuff. But in God's return policy, the revenge isn't ours. So despite our past coming back to try to manipulate, to try to see if our land is unprotected and all this stuff, like we have to remember at the end of the day, when we learn how to communicate what we're trying to do, communicate how we're feeling, checking in with God to control our tongues on what exactly we need to heal from, we're able to walk into God's control of the situation. So if anything tries to come against you, anything tries to come against what God has called you to, they have no one to look at except God because God is in control. So that comes with us being honest with God and looking to him to try to help understand what exactly is going on when our past is coming back. So God has prepared us for this intercession and he knows the beginning from the end. So we have to be reminded like, what have I been trying to control thus far in my moving forward season? What have I not let go of? Is it bitterness? Is it rage? Is it a person? Is it an old fling? Is it an old hookup? Is it an old job? Is it an old habit? Whatever it is, what have I not let go of? And then what bitterness are you still holding on to from being looked over, talked over, walked over, and passed over so much so that you're over it? You don't have time to really sit and think about all that goes in to what you're dealing with at such a deep-rooted pain. And it goes deep. But God wants to hear you. He wants to hear where you really are, not the facade that you're putting on like for Joseph. Oh, I'm the governor now. I don't really have to deal with all this stuff with my family anymore because I'm running stuff. But God's like, I need to take this bitterness out of your heart because if you're going to steward over anything I give you, you can't have Egypt in you despite ruling over Egypt. Like I keep saying, you can't have Egypt in you where I'm trying to move you forward from. You can't have procrastination in you where I'm trying to move you forward from. You can't have this old thought process. Let me be transparent and a real example. When I was trying to move forward into the season of celibacy and being more open-minded to where God was calling me to, yes, there were several guys that I used to talk to that would come back and they would be like, oh, hey, like what's going on? And I'm immediately transported back to a time before I started moving forward. And If I put on this facade, like I have moved forward, I am good, I'm great, I'm Gucci. God can't truly heal me from whatever it is that this past person has dredged up out of me. It's almost like they are the people that when they come back, they resurrect a part of yourself that you thought had died long ago. But God wants to hear that. He doesn't want to hear, oh yeah, I'm good, I'm great, I'm fine, whatever. Because then why would they even be back in the first place? And then the other part of, especially when you want to be petty, remember the vengeance is God's. Like revenge isn't yours. We see this all the time in Isaiah 35 verse four, where it says, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. So there are so many promises in there. He's coming with a vengeance. Like he doesn't play about you. He loves you so much that he's after you every single day. So you know he's after whoever's trying to come after you or come against you. He will come just to save you. 
And he will come with vengeance. So the revenge part is his, not yours. He will do everything in his power so that your hands will never be dirty of whatever it is that people are trying to accuse you of. He came to save you. Let's go again into Romans 12 since y'all think I'm playing. Romans 12 verse 19 where it says, do not take revenge, my dear friend. That's not the end of the verse, but he starts off, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. God keeps reminding us, he will take revenge. Don't do none of that. Just leave room to make sure that I get the honor and glory of whatever it is that's going on because it is mine to avenge. I will repay. I have you going through all of this so that if you need any food, you got it. If you need any water, you got it. You encounter someone from your past, I got the revenge for you because I'm getting the honor and glory out of that. It is mine. I will repay all that you have lost. It's mine. You are mine. He has you on his mental every single day. He is after you. God loves you so, so much. And I'll wrap it up here with Nahum 1-2, where it says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. God does not play about getting revenge. If you want to talk about petty God has to be probably the pettiest one. He's the only one that's allowed to be because he's done so much for us. So people wanted to be petty. People wanted to do all this stuff and talk about how, oh, it's karma and what goes around comes around. Like it's not karma. That's Christ. That's not a culture code. That's Christ's character. We give so much credit to Alicia Keys and Justin Timberlake of writing all these songs, but God is in control. And When we try to seek control and try to do all this stuff rather than communicating the goodness of God, communicating how faithful God has been, we only end up hurting ourselves. Because if we go back to Genesis 42 verses 24, it says like after Joseph does all this stuff, throws his brothers in prison and take them back out, he turned away in verse 24. He turned away from them and began to weep. His brothers weren't crying. They were hysterical, but they weren't phased. By all of this, they were just trying to figure out what, why would all of this be happening right now? Like, what did we do? And for all of this, like, we just found out all that Joseph was doing, it was all in vain. So it didn't help him at all. It didn't heal him at all. It didn't really do a deep work in him because he was operating out of the very thing that was causing him pain. So kingdom key one Learn to communicate, not control. Because God will take care of everything that comes within this return policy, but we have to apply his principles in order to see it be fruitful in our lives. We can't keep acting like we're in control of our circumstances, yet we're not communicating to others the goodness of God. So let's go on to kingdom key two, where it says, exchange your pride for the promise. This little nugget I'm just going to say is you can't change the past. No matter how hard you try, you can't change the past. So this second kingdom key is so important because God told Joseph this would happen. God revealed this to Joseph before his moving season even started. You remember back in Genesis 37 where God gave all these dreams down to Joseph. 
Let's rewind that actually. So in Genesis 37, picking up in verse three, it says, Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other sons because he had been born to him when he was old. He made a long robe with full sleeves for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than he loved them, they hated their brothers so much that they would not speak to him in a friendly manner. Verse five, one time Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. He said, listen to the dream I had. We were all in the field tying up sheaves of wheat when my sheaf got up and stood up straight. Yours formed a circle around mine and bowed down to it. Verse eight, do you think you are going to be a king and rule over us? His brothers asked. So they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of what he said about them. Verse nine, then Joseph had another dream and told his brothers. I had another dream in which I saw the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowing down to me. So this is just a reminder that as crazy as your dreams may be, as long or short as they may be, write each one down. God is always speaking through those dreams. But what we learned in verse six through nine, we essentially saw that God revealed to Joseph all of what would happen through his brothers. God revealed every single thing that would happen in Joseph's dreams. And God is going to do what he said he's going to do, period. When he does, we have to be able to be attentive to what is going on. And the question for us is, when we're using God's return policy, are we going to be attentive enough when God does what he said he's going to do to pay attention to what he's doing? We've thought, we've evolved, we're beyond this. Like we've grown past this habit. We've grown past this thought. We've grown past the, these people. Like why are they here, God? But we have to wonder, like, why is Joseph so shook? Joseph is shook because he allowed his pride to take over his vision of the promise. And pride can be broken down into holding grudges, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, unworthiness, whether that be towards yourself or towards others. Pride is something that truly can shake the very foundations of one's character. It can truly make you go zero to 100, forget who you are, forget whose you are, and just operate out of your own thought process, operate out of your own will and emotions. And I question what would it mean for us to put our pride to the side and still serve in this faithfulness that God has given us, not will give us, but what he's given us. Like we see it in Galatians 5, verse 22 through 23, where it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness comma, gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So what I found really interesting in the scripture is that God commas right after faithfulness. So he puts a comma after each of these fruits of, sorry, people say fruit or fruit. He puts a comma after each fruit of the spirit and then puts a comma before he begins verse 23, he says, faithfulness. So this is a fruit that is freely given by the spirit, freely given by God. Like we don't have to seek it out. We don't have to do anything. It's free. 
God has it on tap in heaven. And there's a fruit bar in heaven with all of these fruits of the spirit, but especially faithfulness. So a simple prayer I'll give to you all is, are you ready? It says, God, can I trade my pride for the promise? Fill me with your faithfulness. I am tempted to go back to smoking. I'm tempted to go back to having sex. I'm tempted to go back to being petty. I'm tempted to going back to being unforgiving and seek revenge and stay where I'm at. I'm tempted to do this, Father God, to prove to them that I'm somebody, to prove to them that I am worth something. But you're faithful. So it's a very simple prayer. Again, I'll repeat it. God, can I trade my pride for the promise? Fill me with your faithfulness. I am tempted to go back to, but you're faithful. That's it. It's two sentences. And that feel like that's an easy prayer that we could all pray over ourselves each and every day because God's promise is true. He doesn't go back on it. So don't get clouded by what doesn't work, by getting revenge, by losing sight of what God is doing. Because God's promises come to pass. Our character is changed and our faith is rising. But when someone comes back to your life, is it worth it to throw all of that away? Is it? So then this third one, this third kingdom key I'll say is called steward over the doppelganger. Now, remember in Genesis 42, Joseph requested that the brothers bring back the youngest brother. Now, remember earlier in that chapter, we saw that all of the brothers went except one brother. This brother's name is Benjamin. So let's take a glance at what Joseph's reaction was when Benjamin finally arrived in Egypt after a little bit of push and pull from Jacob. Because remember, Jacob truly loved Benjamin, or he still truly loves Benjamin. But let's take a look at what Joseph's reaction was when he saw his brother for the first time. So just for some brief context, I strongly encourage you all to go back and read Genesis 43 if you have time. But just for the sake of time, I'm going to then slice a little bit here and go straight to the part where Joseph encounters his brothers. After everything that's happened, the brothers come back with Benjamin until in addition to the silver that they found in their sacks. And it says here in Genesis 43, verse 26, when Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were. And then he said, how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, your servant, our father is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his brother, Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Verse 30, deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. Verse 31, after he washed his face, then he came out controlling himself said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. Verse 33, the men had been seated before him and in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest. And they looked at each other in astonishment. 
When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. So with this, we're able to see that this kingdom key principle of stewarding over the doppelganger. And in Joseph's case, Benjamin has everything he was supposed to have, including the way that his brothers treat him. So in Joseph's case, Benjamin has everything he was supposed to have, including the way that his brothers treated him. The way that Jacob takes care of Benjamin, if you go back and read Genesis 43, it's almost as if he treated him just like Genesis 37, Joseph. Notice I didn't say the current Joseph, but the Genesis 37 Joseph. He was the youngest. He was the beloved son. He was the one that Jacob never wanted anything to ever happen to him. So for those who are unsure what a doppelganger is, when I looked it up, it's defined as a biologically unrelated lookalike or a double of a living person in fiction and mythology. So with this, for those of you who are really into Jordan Peele, think of it as the tether to the person that is living the actual life, you know? So I don't really want to get into like the mythology and fiction part of it, but I say this part is an important kingdom key because the doppelganger doesn't really know the full extent of what you've been through because they weren't there. And in Joseph's case, Benjamin doesn't know the full extent of what he's been through in the same family he was born into. The very same brothers, the very same fathers, the very same dynamic that Joseph was born into, Benjamin was born into. But Benjamin doesn't know how harshly they treated Joseph. He doesn't even know who Joseph is. And they may look like you, act like you, talk like you, and it may even appear like they're living out your promise, but they are not you. And so... In Joseph's case, we can see him living out this kingdom principle because when they're all seated and having this dinner and having this meal together, in verse 34, it says, when portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with them. And I say this emphasis on stewarding well over the doppelganger because Joseph did not have to feed Benjamin. He already requested from his brothers, give me something that you really care about. But when you encounter your doppelganger, you encounter that person that has everything you want. You encounter that person that is living the life. You encounter that person that's being the boyfriend or girlfriend that you want it to be towards that person. And they're living out the very thing that you're doing. You have to steward well over them because God is not looking at them. He's looking at how you are reacting to something that you thought was yours in the first place. He's looking to heal a part of you that is not completely healed from the fact that you're encountering your past right now. And a promise that I always make to myself, whether it be my doppelganger or it be something else, I never want someone to feel like how they made me feel. They being a business, a company, a people, a place the thought process, the habit. I never want anyone to ever encounter that same demon because that's what it is. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I never want them to encounter that. If anything, I want them to feel so blessed that they will never have to see the light or the darkness of that situation. So that is a very important kingdom principle with the return policy. So kingdom key number four 
They're not supposed to recognize who you are. The people, the company, the business, the thought habit, whatever it may be, they're not supposed to recognize who you are because you are not the same person you were when you first started moving forward. In Hebrews 12, verses one through three, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I read that verse because there's sometimes when in our return policy, like we try to make them feel how we felt, but it really doesn't help us at all. Like we try to make them get these little clues like, Who was that person that you used to talk to every day? Who is the person that helped you get to where you are? Like, you don't remember me. You don't remember me of all people. And I feel like this verse in Hebrews really highlights how God covered and clothed every single one of my iniquities, every single one of my sins, every single one of my imperfections and purged Egypt out of me so I could run with perseverance the race that he wrote out for me. Before I was even born in my mother's room, God had a race specifically set for me. He had a specific moving forward set for me. So when I encounter my past, they're not supposed to see me. They're supposed to see God's faithfulness. So he's refined me to a point that when the past comes and sees me again, when the habit comes and sees me again, they wouldn't be able to recognize me. Instead, they would see God. They would see God's promises. They would see God's faithfulness in everything that they put me through. They're not supposed to recognize who I am because I'm not who I used to be. If anything, I'm more of a representative of who God has called me to be. So that brings me down to the very last part, the very last kingdom key of God's return policy. Kingdom key number five, ask God what to do and he'll tell you. If God sent them, because sometimes the enemy be sending people. But if God sent them, ask God, why are they back? What are they doing back here? Not often do we have these encounters with our past, but we never really ask God, okay, why is this person floating around? Why is this business hitting me up? Why are these thoughts coming back to haunt me? Why are they back? And it's not a question of, What does God need to change about them, the circumstance, the situation? What does God need to do about them? But what does he want to change in you? What does God want to do in you? Because remember, moving forward is a refinement process. And sometimes if we were to encounter God, especially in terms of things of our past, I'll speak for myself. God, nine times out of 10 is asking me to walk in forgiveness because it's a heart check. If we avoid the prison paralysis and avoid being vengeful, we get right to the promise. We get straight to what God has called us to do. We don't have time to be getting caught up in the details of the past because we're too busy moving forward. There are so many things that I feel like in this moment 
Joseph could have been able to really recognize the full and true power of God. In the very moment in Genesis 42, where his brothers are bowing down to him, he could have easily seen that God is moving in the circumstance. He's moving in the situation. God's not scared of your rants, your tears, or frustrations with the circumstance, but at some point you have to stop crying. You have to stop pouting. You have to stop carrying around this bitterness like it's a badge of honor. If anything, it's just putting out there to those that hurt you and those that are coming to you for help that you're still in pain, that you refuse to heal, that you want to hold on to this thing from the past rather than move forward into the true healed person that God has called you to be. So why would you want to trade that? Why would you want to trade that? So I have to add this part. God so clearly says this in 1 Samuel 16 verses 1 through 3. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? So for those that don't know, Saul was supposed to be the king before David was king. And Samuel goes on to anoint King David, but not before he goes through this process of like, oh God, you chose me to choose Saul and now Saul out here wild and what do I do? And God's basically like, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So with this, we see that when we're moving forward, God's very like, I don't have time to be dealing with everything in the past. I'm already over it. When they harmed you, when they came from you, I already created a solution for it. So I'm not focused on all that they have going on. I need you to focus on where I'm telling you to go. And it's the same thing with Samuel. It's the same thing for Joseph. And it's the same thing for us. God's asking us, how long are we going to keep walking around with this bitterness and rage expecting something to change? Whose return policy are we going to go for? Is it going to be ours or is it going to be God's? Now, just for a reminder... God's return policy tells us to learn how to communicate, not control. Second key, exchange your pride for the promise. Third key, steward over the doppelganger. Fourth key, they're not supposed to recognize who you are. And the last one we just reviewed together, ask God what to do and he'll tell you. What I want to leave with you all today is even my own testimony with trying to walk through this process of Wrapping my head of like, God, you had me through this moving forward season for I don't know how long. And you had me in this series for even longer. And I'm just like, God, what are you trying to do? So for me, I stepped out in faith and quit my job. Now for other people, it may be a different situation. It may be a different circumstance. But I quit my job. For me... I'd already experienced this process of leaving a company, starting over, worrying about those that would be impacted, worrying about how they fell, worrying about my old coworkers, all of this stuff, what people would think, what culture would think, what my employers would think, like thinking about all of these fear-inducing emotions. Now I'm in a circumstance where there's more at stake. 
God had already taken me through a season of what it would be like to leave a company, but now I was facing it in real time. And I thought I made it. I thought I understood what it meant to move forward and deal with this. But for me, the past that came back is all of this doubt and trepidation. So what did I do? I adopted my own return policy or what we learned in today's episode, Joseph's return policy. Part one, treat them like they treat us. The last week I was working there, I could have been like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to come in when I feel like coming in. I'm going to work on what I feel like working on. Like, I'm going to do my own thing. Part two, pretend like we don't know them. Thinking to myself, oh, the next time I come in here, they're not going to even recognize who I am. They're not going to try to act like everything that they took me through that I'm not going to remember because I'm going to remember. And as soon as they remember who I am, I'm going to act like I have no idea who they are. Part three, play God trying to go through this process of finding a job myself, trying to find another source of income, trying to learn how to provide for myself. And then part four, try to make it seem like God approved this. Like, oh, God wouldn't ask me to leave this job if God has me filling out all these places. So I have to grind and hustle to make sure I find another job to supplement the one that God told me to leave. But the gentle reminder I got out of all of this is God is in control. When I made the decision to quit, it was a lot more into it than just what corporate, what culture, and what people will say is just quitting your job. I prayed, I fasted, I sought Christian counsel on what I should do. But the decision wasn't an easy one, but it wasn't one that I didn't make without God being on my side. So even as I implemented this own return policy of this doubt and trepidation coming into my life, I realized that I'm imperfect. And Joseph's imperfect too. Like in some instances, he followed his own return policy, throwing his brothers in prison. But in others, he still followed the promises of God by being a governor and stewarding well over the doppelganger and the people of Egypt and his own brothers. Every attempt we made at manipulating our return policy, God did it with righteousness. So whenever we try to treat them like they treated us, God did the same thing, but he did so in righteousness by allowing Joseph's dream to come to pass. Every time we pretended like we didn't know them, God put us in a position to walk in purpose so that they could see that God's promises are true. Every time we tried to play God, we only played ourselves because he is God and no one can play him. In part four, where we try to make it seem like God approved this, he approved it, but through his promise. He didn't need to be petty. And of course, we like try to see that Joseph's story is a roller coaster of going up and down in jail, out of jail, enslaved, not slave. Like we see this roller coaster, but... That's what the moving forward journey is all about. So when our past makes a return, which return policy are you going to choose? Now I'm hoping next week I can give you all a little bit of testimony of what it meant for me to walk out God's return policy over my own. And I know this episode was a little long, but God would not let me move on from this series without talking about what it meant for us to encounter our past. If you learn nothing from this entire series, Keep your eyes on God because he's going to do what he promised you. We just have to wait and pay attention. The victory 
of all of this on the other side is so worth it. So don't get caught up in the pride. Don't get caught up in what's going on right in front of your very eyes that you lose sight on the vision that God gave you. Because there's so much more, kings and queens. There's so much more rooted in our promise that our past can never take from us. Now, kings and queens, if you stuck through that entire episode, I am so, so proud of you. I know it was a long one. It was probably the longest one in the entire series. But like I already said, God would not let me move on without talking about this part. For me personally, it was a lot because there was a lot of chapters to get through. Like I had to get through Genesis 42, 43 and 44. Like there were so many parts to it that I was just like, God, like. I can't imagine saying all this stuff to people and them still paying attention to the podcast. And he's checked my heart and saying, I don't need you to do this. I just need your voice. And it's just like, okay, God, my bad. Because that's a big thing about our moving forward, right? We think that this has everything to do with us and what we want to do about it. But God's saying, I really don't need you. If you don't want to do it, I'll find somebody else. And I don't want to be the Saul in David's story. I want to be the David, or I'll put it this way. I want to be the Dime in my own story. And I don't want to have God looking for anybody else to do it except me, because he called me to do it. So yeah, it was a long episode, but it was totally worth it. Now, with that being said, some QTNAs I want you all to marinate on for the next week is when God shows us something in one season, will we have the faithfulness to be present and recognize? that it's happening in this season. The next question I want you all to think about is, what dreams, promises, moving forwards, warnings, or reminders have God given you in a previous season that you have recognized and praised him for? And then the next question with that is, are you healed enough to recognize how you're seen now? So basically for me, I had J. Cole's Pride is the Devil looping in my head the entire time I was prepping for this episode. And even as I was like going throughout my week, like Pride is the Devil. Like, so for me, the song of the week I'll give to y'all is J. Cole's Pride is the Devil. Like, I know some of my really sanctified people won't really vibe with that. They have some controversy with J. Cole, but Melon and Medley is really about coming as you are and being who you're called to be. And I listen to J. Cole. So if y'all want to check him out, definitely do it. Because there's really no filter to put God through. Because God loves each and every one of his children that are on this earth. So if you don't like that song, you don't have to. You can find you another song that you like. But that song was looping through my head the entire time I was thinking about this episode. And of course... The five kingdom keys of God's return policy is number one, learn to communicate, not control. Two, exchange your pride for the promise. Three, steward over the doppelganger. Four, they're not supposed to recognize you. And five, ask God what to do and he'll tell you. I have to emphasize that kingdom key number four is so important because You can waste your whole time trying to convince these people that you change, how you can change things with them, how things are different because you will lose your 
mind trying to change these people's minds. It's a past for a reason. It's supposed to deliver you from where you once were to where you currently are. It's not supposed to be a place to suck you back in. So don't get caught up in trying to prove to these people who you are, getting them to recognize who you are because you weren't the person you used to be. Don't forget that, kings and queens. If you remember nothing from this entire episode, pride is the devil and don't forfeit your promise for pride because your past pales in comparison to the person you were always meant to be. So let's wrap this up with a prayer. Let us pray. Dear Father God, thank you for walking us through this very, very important part of the Moving Forward series. Father God, we are constantly being bombarded by what culture thinks, what other people think, and all of this stuff, Father God. But while we're being bombarded by all these things in our Moving Forward season, sometimes a monkey wrench, as we learned in a previous episode, comes in to throw our whole journey off. We get lost We get confused and we start to doubt and walk in pride in the promise that you've called us to, Father God. But we pray that you just let us die to ourselves in pride right now. Let pride shrivel up in our hearts so that the promise, your faithfulness, can create a fruitful harvest in our hearts. Father God, you know everybody's moving forward season is different. But you know that when we encounter our past, our faith tends to get shaken up, Father God. So help us to be steadfast. Help us to anchor our hearts in your word, anchor our hearts in your fruit of the spirit, and anchor our hearts in the promise that you gave to us, Father God. Let us to never again be shaken by our past, but to look it in its face and let them be able to see the full glory of who you are and whose we are so that our promise will always, always, always come true. Because we need not do anything on our end for your grace is ever flowing. But you're always faithful. You're always loving. And you're always forgiving. Let us always walk in your promises. Let us always walk in your faithfulness. Let us always look to you for any answers that we may have, so that we may have insight and understanding in all that we do. So it's in all these things we ask, not by our will, but your will. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask it all. Amen. So that wraps up this week's episode of Melanin Medley. And I'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to email me at d-e-m-e-l-a-v-e-r-d-a-d at gmail.com and keep the conversation going. I'd love to hear what you, your friends, and family thought about this week's topic. Email me your questions, your thoughts, and even suggestions you may have for future episodes. Feel free to follow me on social media at the Melanin Medley Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, keep your heads up, kings and queens, and I'll see you next week. Bye.